All right, we're live. Another episode of Monero Talk. Uh, today on the show we have Matt Luongo. Is that correct? Is that the correct pronunciation? You got it. And uh, he's the founder of uh, Thesis.co. Maybe we could get into that a little bit, just so sure. we all know what that is. And then we have Brian Trolls, who uh, runs the the Block Digest YouTube show. Uh, maybe among other things, but that's what I know him as. <laughs> Um, shit posting on Twitter. <laughs> okay. And uh, so, yeah, this episode came together from a tweet that Matt had sent out. I guess it's been a while now. It took a while to get the show going. It was about a month ago, I guess. And it was after the Satoshi Roundtable uh, where you had tweeted, I was the guy that said we might have to one day raise the Bitcoin supply cap. Fight me. And uh, people certainly did. And uh, whether or not you actually believe that to be the case, that we may have to one day raise yeah, the Bitcoin sure. supply cap, we can get into. Yeah. But we just want to have a discussion around that. What spurred you to send out that tweet? And I guess my first question is, what is the, uh, you know, for those watching, um, the Satoshi Roundtable? I think, you know, people sure. hear about it every now and then. It yeah. kind of has this uh, mystique to it. Yeah, it sounds like, very mysterious, like tons of like backroom dealing, but it's, it's not, uh, you know, I've, I've been going for four or five years now and, um, you know, originally it was, uh, at a club med, you know, not, not too fancy. Uh, we would all hang out. Um, but it got a little bit of notoriety because during the block size debate, when you could call it the block size, when we're talking about block weight, um, Bruce Fenton, who was the organizer made this attempt to bring together, you know, Brian Armstrong from Coinbase and, some other folks, uh, along with kind of like Adam back and 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 some of the lar- predominantly Chinese miners, to all kind of come together and avoid a chain split. And this was back in the, uh, I think this one was back in the Bitcoin Classic days. So um, so it gained a little notoriety that year, but since then it's just it's a bunch of folks that have been in crypto for a bit who uh, enjoy each other's company and take a little vacation. So does does do policy decisions come out of out of the Satoshi Roundtable? This is not a, this is not a governance structure. This is a bunch of people like giving each other lightning talks, uh, getting lunch together, and uh, drinking a little too late into the night. So, okay, Brian, you have any opinion on the uh, Satoshi Roundtable? Do you attend you, as well? You are clearly full of shit, sir. This is secret <laughs> Bitcoin Bilderberg Group. You guys. Are- <laughs> But yeah, it's like, yeah. You know, I mean, I, uh, there there might be a meeting behind the meeting, and I just don't get. Oh, hold on a sec. Uh-oh. What happened there? Got a bad connection. It's clearly the the secret inner circle uh, cut off his internet. Connection. <laughs> he was saying too much. <laughs> Let's see if we get him back. I guess in the meantime. Uh, yeah, in the meantime, so I, I, I wanted to also say, because I know we were saying this offline, um, I highly respect your show, the the show that you run, Block Digest. I think it's great. And it was uh, one of the reasons I, I started to go down the Monero path. Uh, or I, th- I guess I had gotten down it before the show existed, now that I'm hearing the dates. But uh, it, it validated uh, some of the things that I, I found most interesting about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, kind of the things you guys are most concerned about that. Not saying any of you guys are into Monero, but just when you guys talk about the the, the ideals behind 
crypto and what the purpose of this stuff is supposed to be about censorship resistant you know resistant uh, value transfer things like that and uh, i just want to thank you for the show you guys do and help uh leading me down that path whether or not is the it is the correct one and i, I think mean, you guys you know, do an amazing job on that show you know thanks for saying that man you know part of the <laughs> the reason that like you know chris hollis and, and janine and rick and the rest of us started that was like just not being happy with the the quality of different like content in the space like it, it just seemed like more focused around validating your opinion as opposed to actually trying to be as objective as possible in presenting things and you know that's it's a very bad thing when you're talking about a space like this where every actor has to kind of make their decisions and act on their own yeah that definitely comes across in the show you guys take like a very scientific approach and you just whatever the topic is uh you 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 just bring um you know objective analysis to it very much appreciate it so i don't know did we did we lose them for good i hope not but uh <laughs> <laughs> keep uh, killing some time though it just uh with the satoshi round table i mean it's like i i personally think it's kind of silly the way people try to make that event out like that like i've known bruce in this space for years you know it's not like we we talk to each other all the time or real close or anything but like I, i've interacted with him for a while and like he no he's just trying to get people together to talk about things and i mean it's any really any event where people are meeting in, in the real world there's going to be people networking and talking and trying to coordinate on things and i just think it's kind of silly to point out one event like this and try to paint it as the, the boogeyman i mean like look at the new york agreement like that that had nothing to do with some kind of regular gathering it was just these companies back channeled coordinated and tried to push this thing like that that kind of stuff would or will happen regardless of the satoshi roundtable existing right at the end of the day this the this is people working on uh, on a project together and uh discussions need to be had um, I don't know, guys. They just cut my internet. They, <laughs> of, I, they clearly have a lot of power and reach. Um. <laughs> how how does one get involved in the Satoshi Roundtable? Is it like an invite-only uh, thing? or yeah, That's a good question. Uh, so once you go once, they'll typically invite you back unless you, like, you know, did something particularly uncouth. Uh, so... So back in the day, what I did was I just sort of hit up all my friends and I was like, you know, it sounds like some interesting folks are going. I'd like to be there. Email enough people until I got an invite. Um, but since then, I think you typically are going to get one or two referrals from an attendee. Um, so obviously, if this goes well, you guys are invited to the Bilderberg group and we'll, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll all have fun next year. So. So was there any real discussion at the event about the 21 million cap? Was it, was Absolutely. it a topic that was discussed? Absolutely. Yeah. So it, rather it was a topic uh, that I basically, I, I'm not going to say I trolled the room because there's some legitimate intellectual curiosity going on here, uh, but it was definitely not because all of us were interested in discussing it. So we were having a, a um, God, and I forget there's like all sorts of Chatham house rules. Let me see if I can do this carefully. Uh, we had, we were having a, lightning talk about lightning and uh the room kind of broke out and uh, there's this idea that's come up i've heard it from a few different people 
um, about, uh, you know, what's happening? Are we, sh are we shifting fees to lightning? Uh, is L1 still going to have a robust uh, fee market? So there's just been sort of this, uh, these, no one wants to talk about it too much because it harkens back to, you know, like shitty civil war days. Um, and we don't want to talk about was that the right decision and is there going to be kind of fee pressure? So, so we were having this discussion and uh, the basic uh, idea that came up was what if all of this commerce moves to lightning uh, and then suddenly the demand uh, now that everyone's kind of open channels for L1 goes down and the actual L1 settlement demand goes down, uh, what what's the outcome? And so, uh, so there are a couple of things that came from that first, like that's pretty ludicrous. Uh, and so that's the first thing that I think that anyone who, who tunes in needs to hear is like, this is a pretty unlikely situation where you're saying there's a ton of demand to open channels, but then suddenly everyone has a channel. No one ever needs to close a channel. Um, and we've all just kind of graduated to, to lightning uh, as being all of Bitcoin, right? But there's a real thing behind it. Uh, and this is, and this is what, uh, what I said, and I think it poked some people, which is uh, however many happenings from now, at some point, we're taking, uh, we're taking all of these uh, fees and kind of the cost of security, and we're moving from the cost of security being on holders, which is what it is right now, right? So, uh, so right now, most mining security is paid with issuance which means that we're all, anyone who holds Bitcoin uh, is being inflated uh, and, and is having our currency devalued. And I know we don't like to say that because we're like, well, over the next 20 years after this, but the truth is right now there is still inflation and we're, you're taking that fee and you're moving it over to transactions. So there's a pretty big economic change. And the last time we discussed this was uh, when we talked about, uh, we talked about block caps and, and shortly before uh, Segwit. And, uh, you know, it's still a concern is, will there be a long-term robust uh, transaction fee market that can totally replace uh, the security we get now from mining? Wait, and, and just to be clear, you're saying that you don't see there being an issue with the L L2 la second layer I, I transactions? Personally, to, yeah. personally, I doubt it. I can imagine all sorts of situations uh, where this could come up. and this And this is the thing that got blown up. I think because our community is so sort of, uh, I mean, it's gotten very tribal, right? Uh, that it's hard to have a discussion, which is pretty straightforward. Uh, straightforward is maybe the wrong word. It shouldn't trigger anyone to talk about this stuff. This is basic, you know, engineering and economics of the system, but it's not going to matter for another 20 years. And, uh, and so the fact that I think everyone jumped to this, it's people looking to be divisive. Um, you know, and and I don't I don't know what the I don't know what the game is. Uh, I don't know if it's folks who are trying to get a market response or what. Um, my personal favorite, though, and I mean, obviously, I, I I like to stick my finger places too because I was like, you guys are all subtweeting me. I'm just gonna out myself. Uh, let's have let's do this. If we're gonna do it, let's do it in public. But I, the most interesting thing I thought I saw was this Bitcoin Cash proponent who said, like, look, guys, uh, look what they're doing to Bitcoin. <laughs> Look what this uh, random, uh, you know, private, uh, you know, citizen who's built a couple companies on top of Bitcoin, but who's not a core developer, who's not involved in any sense of governance other than being a holder. Uh, look at look at his thought. Obviously, um, 
Bitcoin is going to destroy all of your holdings and you should move to Bitcoin Cash. So I thought that was a pretty interesting take uh, kind of on the Chinese forums. Hmm. Do you guys mind if I jump in here real quick? Of course. Please do. All right. So there's really two things out of that that I want to respond to. Mm -hmm. And like the, the first one is the, the notion of layer one demand kind of shriveling up sure. in response to things like lightning. And I think that's for two reasons, completely impossible inherently to happen. I mean, one is the, the liquidity or liquidity constraints yep. of how lightning works is going to by necessity require constant activity or eventually you won't be able to transact because things will just get fragmented and disconnected and with no way to reorganize liquidity, that becomes an unreconcilable problem. And then two, there's a notion in economics called uh, Javon's paradox, which was actually observed in the 1800s in England after the Watt steam engine was developed, which was a much more efficient use of coal in steam engines. And it actually resulted in a huge increase in the overall demand for coal when something was uh, made to create a more efficient use for it. And so I think like that, that is kind of a consistently demonstrated economic um, pattern when sure. you have the efficiency and consumption used. And I mean, as far as the, to move to the next one, the kind of the tragedy of the commons between holders and transactors in, in terms of security, I mean, that was an inherent obvious aspect of the system from day one and that exact yep. dynamic is what kind of led to all of the block size wars and the eventual breaking off of bitcoin cash but it, it's kind of i think a little different than you put it in terms of it's also the the demand between those two different groups is as a holder i find no utility in this system unless i can fully validate it and a transactor is not going to find utility unless they can cost effectively transact on it. But those two are at polar odds. To try and make it more cost effective for a transactor on chain to use it, you weaken or increase the cost for me to validate as a holder and weaken my ability to interact with the system. And so there's really no way to reconcile those two things except layering out things on top. Like those are inherently at odds and if we do not move forward with a layered stack model, like with lightning and other things, then those will fragment into two different things. And that's just inevitable without this reconciliation of protocol stacks. So I'm going to go back and go slowly because I agree with a bunch of what you're saying. Um, but I think there are a couple points that are worthwhile. So one, I'm, I'm sort of skeptical of point one. I, I um, and and forgive me if uh, I just missed this day at lightning school because I could have. Um, but but in my work so far, I see there, there are plenty of opportunities to rebalance liquidity without falling back to L1. So, I, you know, I, I personally I don't think that that argument is necessary. Um, I do, though, agree. Like, I, I, I think that the vision of lightning as a caching layer where larger value uh, is still going to be moved to L1 makes a lot of sense. Um, the security models obviously are very different. Um, but uh, the but your second point around trans transactors versus holders, that statement that these two are at polar opposites, that's only true if we take the state that we're in with Bitcoin now and we say, what can we do? 
So folks can make alts and, and find all sorts of ways. And I'm not sure that there's actually a real kit, like a hard science dilemma between those two. I think that that's a, uh, a, a false dilemma that, you know, Satoshi and then the rest of us, as we've run the network and, and, and tried to, and tried to be stewards, uh, have sort of foisted upon users. That's okay. But I don't see anything inherent that, uh, I don't, I don't see anything inherent that holders should be at odds with transactors, like in, in, in the greater, uh, design possibility. And I think part of, part of what got under people's skin about me talking about this stuff is, you know, the separating talking about Bitcoin from how, how could this work? It's kind of like, you know, what's good policy versus what's good politics. What's good politics is we're not changing shit. This works. Stick with it. Um, what's good policy is, well, in an ideal world, maybe we could build a system that you tweak this, this, and this, and maybe it would work a little bit better by aligning the interests of holders and transactors. Because ultimately, I mean, and, and I know this is not in vogue to say, but I got in this to build a currency. And I, and I actually approve and appreciate of a layered sort of network approach. I think that we've seen it works time and again again in engineering and I think that tiered security makes sense um, but I don't I don't I, I I hope that we can find a world where transactors and holders are actually supporting each other well see like I I don't disagree that in a hypothetical world uh, uh, something that wasn't deflationary with a finite supply could work but I mean the practical matter is that's not Bitcoin and the right. whole reason people here are holding it is because of that finite supply and sure. so like while it may have worked if i think it probably would have worked if it started that way it didn't mm -hmm. start that way agreed and i think to change that fundamental core aspect of the system it throws all of immutability out the window and now the core value proposition of bitcoin has just been destroyed like you well, now have no more that's guarantees. A, now that's that's a stretch that's a stretch if we were to actually consider changing the emission curve god this would be forked so fast um, and so I think that that's, that's not going to change regardless. Um, but you can imagine a world like fast forward, many happenings. You can imagine a world where, uh, where it has been found to be unsustainable and, and maybe a little rocky. Uh, and, and there is an additional emission curve, uh, where there's actually tail emissions on the system. I don't know. Uh, we don't live in that world today. And I, and I, and I don't think it destroys immutability. I do think it destroys the reason many of us invested in this system, uh, which again is why I think it would just fork off and you know, the market would decide. But see, that's kind of the thing there is, is if that forked, all of the people holding are holding for that reason and they would immediately dump the thing that threw it out the window so it wouldn't succeed. That's what I'm not, that's what I'm not I mean, sure about. Like, honestly, like the, the whole reason to even consider something like that it comes down to one real core technological aspect of it. And that's the sure. issue of taking um, the data constraints of the blockchain and somehow dispersing a very high amount of fees per individual transaction on chain amongst a large group of people. And the only real reason that we would have to consider moving to a permanent uh, supply increase is the inability to do that. But sure. we do have the ability to do that in both a decentralized way with things like channel factories, which would very easily allow 
tiny amounts from hundreds or thousands of people to aggregate in on-chain reorganizations into or out of channel factories. And we also have a way to do it in a centralized way, simply by aggregating through centralized services like uh, Coinbase or in the more um, favorable um, way, in my opinion, something like a Xiaomi and eCash server. And I'm almost positive that people looking at the basic primitives to do these could construct a number of different ways filling in that whole spectrum from fully decentralized to centralized. So I really don't think it's a viable argument to say that we would have to consider this because of the inability to do that. Like we have the tools at both extremes right now to accomplish that and more will fill in the, the, the middle ground of that spectrum. So it sounds like you're either contradicting yourself or I'm missing something here. It sounds like what you're saying is that we have the tools to spread the fees of transactors over many, many people. So is your point just, you know, now we have signature aggregation, now we have channel factories. It's incredibly cheap to find a way to to transfer value at L1. Or it's, 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 it's not not that it's cheap at L1, okay. it's cheap per person at L1 right. because you can aggregate right. things in a single transaction. Sure. Well, so I'm, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a technical, yeah, technical optimist as well. Um, but, <laughs> but I mean, you're, what you're basically saying is uh, what you set up originally as a dilemma between two parties is not a dilemma at all. So if it's that easy, you could just make the same argument that well, I've pressed down so much that there's not going to be more than one aggregated signature per block. And now how in the world are we paying for security? There's still a, there's still a core economic trade-off between these two groups. And uh, I mean, yeah, See, whether I, or not I, it ever I, comes to a head, I have no idea. I have to disagree there because my framing as two things at odds is given existing in a vacuum without creating seconds layers on top. And that second layer stack is how to reconcile it. Got and it. also, I don't think like this really factors into holders. Like it's just transactors not increasing the cost of holders to validate. And so even with like, let's say we go to the extreme and it's just one signature per block. Well, I mean, that's not really relevant, I think, because it's about how many people are moving their value in a transaction and how much Bitcoin is paying a sure. fee for that that one transaction and that could be literally like, you could have I'm a block certainly assuming i'm certainly assuming that if we get down to one one transaction per block that the fee on that is not very high for like pretty clear reasons right but see that transaction um, could be literally the size of a block if we remove the, oh, the yeah. upper limits policy wise for um transaction size and so like that one signature could literally be potentially hundreds or thousands of people but but well, you're kind of getting you're kind of getting at the, you're getting at the point though I think which is it could be that that transaction is as large as a block or it could be that we actually continue to compress that transaction and that all uh, that we would typically individually do as L one transactions are now this com compressed at some L two like there's some L two where there's a signature aggregation service and we're all agreeing to aggregate our stuff we ag it down and we drop it on a block at some point. And, and this is actually, this is a, I'll make this question, not a statement. Do you believe that a scenario where there's only one reasonably sized transaction per block, do you believe that that is going to lower transaction fees? And if so, sub, sub thought, 
is that going to eventually hurt the value of Bitcoin uh, if you can no longer, if you now have to wait 30, 50, 100 confirmations to get the requisite amount of, of uh, work for, for your use case? Um, no, I don't, because I think that that case is literally impossible unless you fundamentally change in some way the UTXO model of the system, because each mm. channel factory is going to be an independent UTXO. Each like channel is its own UTXO, and those fees are a result of the size in terms of data. So regardless of how much you compress the signatures, there's still going to have to be each individual UTXO that that maps to and each individual output that those inputs map to. So to be fair, you were just talking about a scenario where we could aggregate signatures and I'm just assuming we take it all the way. So let's say we have a soft fork where now we're, this is just getting totally ridiculous because this is what we have to do to discuss what's gonna happen in 20, 40 years. Um, but let's assume we have say a snark that uh, is the only transaction per block that's supported via soft fork that proves all properties of this thing. So now you have something succinct every block it's the only transaction okay there's there's no reason no channel factories or any other arguments those can all be reconstructed around this new succinct representation that does not grow with demand does not grow with additional parties does this does this kind of show the thing that i'm trying to poke at yeah but i mean that can be trivially solved by adjusting the block size down or in, in even if it's not directly in terms of data size, restricting how many people can participate in one of these snarks. And I mean, if we're in this hypothetical situation, like this is no longer just playing with economic things for the sake of playing with economic things. This is <laughs> a engineering concern about the security of the network. And if we ever do get to that point, which I think is not a crazy thing to consider, I mean, that seems to be looming on the horizon, like where a lot of people are looking in terms of the architecture of the system evolving. But sure. like we would have to just take that into consideration when we did something like this. And I don't sure. think it would be difficult at all to do so. So uh, so going like a little bit further, and obviously we're in this like total la la land. And this is the conversation that got blown up on Twitter was this sort of la la land discussion. Uh, we say it's an engineering concern, but I think it, you know, it is more than an engineering concern what we're talking about right now. It's, it's a, it, or maybe you could call it a crypto economic engineering concern. You could call it a mechanism design concern, but at the end of the day, if you're taking a lot of demand for something and you're making it easier to compress that demand, uh, that's also an economic concern. Well, yeah, Not that I'm worried there's about. an economic aspect to it, but it's still yeah. at the core is an engineering concern because anything that boils down to will this system continue functioning properly is at its core an engineering concern. It's, it's making sure the system continues functioning and providing the security that's necessary for its functioning. Guys, can I, if, if we could just, this is great, great discussion. <laughs> Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, if you could just, this is Monero talk. I know I, I, you know, if you don't mind, I just want to interject with um, the fact that today Monero exists and, and it does have a tail emission, right? Um, so it, it is doing things in a different way. It's, it's disinflationary. Um, what do you, what is your opinion on, I guess a few questions here. Uh, 
do you guys look at Bitcoin as trying to mimic gold? It is digital gold. And if so, do you think Bitcoin is doing that better than Monero? Is Monero potentially doing that better than Bitcoin in terms of the fact that it's actually fungible on the protocol level? And then in, in relation to this conversation, um, its security is known in the future in that we, we know there will be miners mining uh, forever, right? Given that there's this uh, uh, continuous emission curve, there'll always be Moneros to be mined. Uh, does that add to the goldness of Monero in that we're secure today and in the future in knowing that Monero mm-hmm. will always be mined and, and secured by, by hash rate? And oh, I just, just want to hear your opinions on that. I'll go, go second on this one. Well, like honestly, I think that the digital gold thing is constantly twisted out of context, and it's more of an observation of the increasing costs of actually introducing new things into the supply and the way that the supply curve drops. It's kind of similar to a gold mine or an oil well, where you have that that um, that shrinking ratio of cost to uh, return on it, and so I, I think that like that that's kind of memed itself way out of context of what that original observation by Satoshi was. But as far as the the security um, with that kind of disinflationary model, I mean, yeah, like, you know, like I said, it's in abstract that can definitely work. Like, it's just that's not where Bitcoin started, but that is where Monero did. But I, I do think there is one thing to note there in that it might not be in a practically meaningful way, but I do think that there is somewhat of a less um, censorship resistance guarantee in a vacuum without kind of the way that uh, Monero has implemented things to make it um, hard to tell individual things apart. But without that um, kind of extra way to address this, having some kind of guaranteed revenue for miners that is not tied to processing transactions in the long term gives them the ability to be more selective and ignoring things because at the end of the day there is a bottom guaranteed revenue that they get regardless of processing transactions and so that kind of in in a small way disconnects the um the income of miners from incentivizing censorship resistance so you're saying it makes it less censorship resistant? Yes, because a miner could still continue to accrue profit without having to include transactions to acquire that profit. It, it might be more difficult to tell what to censor, but it would be more difficult to censor is what you're saying. No, I, I'm saying it would be more um, possible to censor, and not, not Monero specifically, but something with that kind of disinflationary right. model. Right. That did not have a bunch of privacy tech on top of it. Sure. That didn't have the privacy. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go just like uh, in a tiny bit of a different direction and I'm not like a, a Monero expert, but I've, I, I've looked at a, enough other coins that I feel like I can say that might be a better model, but Bitcoin exists. And so it's sort of like, I mean, you know, to, to Brian's point earlier, Maybe one day we'll have to tackle this stuff with Bitcoin, but will will a coin that has maybe solved these theoretical problems have an advantage in the short term? 
And will it actually be able to kind of, you know, flip Bitcoin? And 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 that and that I'm not sure that's likely. Um, so I think I think I'm kind of like torn between what might be a better system design, better for like you know the next hundred years, versus uh, what is actually going to happen in the market, uh, which appears to be rewarding the first mover. Um, does that make sense? So, like, maybe it would be better, but I'm not sure it's going to matter. We'll find out. Yeah, I, I think that argument, you're basically saying because Bitcoin is the first, it has the first mover advantage. The fact that it may not, the fact that it may lack qualities that make it uh, digital gold don't matter because it has a network effect and it will fix those things in the future. I mean, I, I think that's kind of the, 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 the argument or the, the debate that's constantly being had, right? As to, is is Bitcoin the good enough protocol? Um, I personally don't believe that's a kind of a law of nature that because Bitcoin sure. was the first one, uh, it means that it's going to be the one that succeeds. I think there is kind of this like, you know, There's being the first one, right? being the first one certainly gives us a great advantage. But mm -hmm. did it did it did it evolve enough? Did it? to where it got close enough to being what this protocol needs to be to, to last into the future right. uh, before it well, reached that point of no return. Because now, now we're at the point where it's very difficult to change Bitcoin. And obviously, a lot of people would argue, well, that's a good thing. Uh, it is a good thing eventually, but not if the, the, the clay gets hard before you finish sculpting the sculpture. Well, so I mean, there's, are, there's, are, are, did Bitcoin achieve that yet? Did this kind of becomes a govern. This becomes a governance thing, which is another thing that I hope. I hope Brian hates the word governance. I hope. I, do. I hope. I absolutely do. I'm so glad because this also is a. This also is sort of like a this evolutionary test of like, you know, what sort of development model is is going to win. Now, I I cannot speak to the depths of Monero development. I know a couple Monero folks, but um. But I do think this pretend we don't have a governance problem, and that actually is our governance thing. And Bitcoin is super. Is, I mean, I love it. Okay, it's I also have crazy. A before, please, I, I please do. Start. Yeah, don't have so a stroke. I, Let me know what there think. is obviously a governance process. I mean, like I, I, I hate the word in the context of like there is some formalized structure, but like it, it's very simple. Like there is a mob of people who will all make their own choices and there are people who propose things to that mob right and the mob just does what the mob is going to do and i mean <laughs> that i think that literally applies to absolutely every decentralized system in this space it's well, just yeah, it's, some technology it's, it's voice or exit right like this is the core thing that all of crypto is built on is is you you can speak or you can exit uh you, you can try to change things or or you can fork off um but i do think I do think that that process significantly slows development. It's something that I've noticed in my own in my own products, where if I'm developing privately and then I release something, I can go much faster than if I'm having to develop in the open with all of the assholes on Twitter who think I want to destroy the Bitcoin supply cap. You know, it's it's a lot it's a lot faster um, to to have a tight team, and so I do wonder if there's threat from a more centralized development process. Um, I'm, I'm starting to lean towards that's not going to happen, but 
Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it just is what it is. I mean, that's fundamentally how this stuff works, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. But I mean, you know, re real quick to kind of circle back to the issue of um, well, what Douglas was talking about with the kind of adaptability and stagnating too early. I think that really like Bitcoin's core layer, it's obviously starting to ossify, but given that there are enough primitives on that layer to work on second layers above, I think a lot of that lost agility on layer one can be made up for on second layers. But, you know, mostly I, I kind of want to call back to uh, an observation by Hal Finney, like right after Bitcoin was created. And that's if, if something could ever be created from scratch that would unseat and replace Bitcoin, like not simply modify or change Bitcoin with its pre-existing UTXO set, you pretty much just destroyed this entire space because you've thrown the entire like guarantee and confidence in digital scarcity out the window. Because when is this going to happen the next time? When is some new token with a whole new ownership distribution going to just pop out of nowhere? And well, and that's happened. This one, it hasn't unseated this one, but we've seen that. And I, I think the answer is chains never. Die. Well, again, for anyone watching this, I love Bitcoin. Chains never die, though. So even if it happens, you know, what does that mean? Well, it, it obviously means uh, that Ethereum is one. No, like you know, other other chains can can certainly grow without totally demolishing Bitcoin and. Uh, you know, all respect to hell, but that's shown to not be the case. But nothing is ever unseated Bitcoin, and that's the point. And, that's and also, I, re real quick, uh, twerp is um, a remark: is there are definitely dead blockchains. I will try to get you the website uh, <laughs> later, but there is actually a whole website that categorizes and logs blockchains that have totally died and stopped progressing. So what but I'm hearing from you is that over the weekend, I need to spin up all these chains again. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'll get back to you. Just send me the site, and I'll see what I can do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what what I what I really struggle with with Bitcoin is is this, uh, you know, what you guys are getting to right here, which is uh, the the answer to everything in Bitcoin land can be well, it was the first one; it has the network effect, and if Bitcoin fails, they all fail. And uh, not that you know, may, maybe that is true. Maybe that is true. Uh, it might not be, but but it hasn't it it hasn't you know that that's that's some it's hard to disprove until it happens. Yeah, um, the fact is, <laughs> other coins do exist. You know, coins may die, but yeah, yeah, the, it is difficult for them to to die. Uh, other ones exist, and they and they actually are providing real world value. Uh, if you if you very few of them are though. <laughs> well. Very few, very uh, few. But Monero, you know, Monero, I think is certainly one of those. I mean, if you wanted to yeah. make, uh, you know, uh, a private transaction today, you you should. I I would recommend using Monero versus Bitcoin. Um, maybe yeah. there's there's certainly Definitely might there certainly might be ways to do it with Bitcoin, but Monero does it. And not, then not a good idea. Not a good idea today. <laughs> and then the. Um, you know this this whole digital goal thing. I th I think it is interesting to look at it in those terms, um, and I I just don't know why sometimes the line is drawn at saying, well, there are certain things that Bitcoin needs to have 
on its protocol level, but there's certain things it doesn't need to have. And I just don't understand why fungibility isn't one of those things. And I, and, and I, and I don't understand why things like what we're talking about with the security of, uh, you know, maintaining the security of the network with guaranteeing that miners will continue to mine into the future. Why we've also decided that that doesn't have to be one of those things. And it just seems kind of arbitrary where uh, people in Bitcoin are deciding what does and does not have to be uh, part of the core protocol. It seems like anything that isn't part of the core protocol by default doesn't need to be in it because Bitcoin is the first. Therefore, it is what it is. It is what it is. So So, it doesn't um, need to have it. The the fungibility thing. See, that I completely disagree with. Bitcoin absolutely is fungible. When you spend a transaction, you destroy outputs and create new ones. And the only reason that people can claim it's not fungible is literally just making wild assumptions. Like just a coin join, just splitting things around decreases the accuracy of any assessment or assertion made by a chain analytics company as to who's in control of that, what it's doing without like metadata from outside of the network. All they are doing following one output, creating a new one down in a chain is making less and less and less accurate assumptions about things. And all you need to do is just undermine some of those assumptions and you've pretty much just thrown their accuracy down the well. Like pay point coin join alone is literally things where a chain analytics company gets to something and they just stop. They can't put anything together anymore. They have no idea how to proceed. Can I just say, if anyone's buying their drugs after listening to this, please don't think coin join is acceptable OPSEC. Like I, at some theoretical level, maybe we can argue that the anonymity set is equivalent to yada, 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 Monero, if you do this, that, or the other. But truly, like, we need more than CoinJoin. And I, 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 I'm not saying we need to, like, jump to, like, crazy, you know, snarks moon math. But um, the fact that CoinJoin is optional already is a serious issue for fungibility. And, and pretending otherwise, I mean, we can be maximalists without saying that Bitcoin is perfect. That is not, uh, that's, that's not an alternative to a proper privacy coin today. And, but, you know, so, but the, I'm hearing the same argument now, though, from Brian, which is the same argument he made with, um, you know, talking about security and whether or not we want to have a coin where you continue to, to mine forever, which is, if if Bitcoin could be reinvented today, would would we want it to potentially be uh, you know inflationary? Sure, why not? Because now we know there is no risk in the future as to whether or not uh, miners will well, have an incentive well, to buy. I, I, the, 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 the same, case, the same question is applied to the fungibility. If we could reinvent Bitcoin today, would we want fungibility? Built into the protocol layer. Now, now I know you said Bitcoin already is fungible, but would you want it to be fungible in a in a different way, where uh, you know coins can't be blacklisted? I I get there's mixing mixing can be done, but if you could reinvent Bitcoin today, would you want it to be? Would you want that mixing built into the protocol? If, If you're referring to confidential transactions 
absolutely not because there is a trade-off there that most people pushing for that do not recognize you are either perfectly binding in which case the privacy can be broken in the future everything is there all you're getting is temporary privacy temporary assumptions of security that will be broken with the whole record there to be analyzed in the future so let's say I'm wrong about chain analytics and they're 100% accurate all the time, which they're not. Well, that that privacy vanishes in the future or they're perfectly hiding and you can now inflate the coin supply eventually uh, out of thin air. And those are, that's a binary thing. You pick one or the other, you are going to have to take one of those risks. There is no way around it. And um, shit, what what was the other point I was going to make? With, with ring signatures, um, and like what Monero does, like that's not scalable. Like you guys have to track every single transaction output in the entire history. You can never throw any of them out. So now the your, your equivalent of a UTXO set is guaranteed forever to perpetually grow in proportion to what's processed on the blockchain. That is not scalable. That is rough, but I think if we can say Bitcoin can get better, I think we can probably agree Monero can get better too. Um, that, that I, I'm, well, well, I mean, I think there's a different argument to make that's probably going to tickle your fancy anyway, Brian, which is just from an engineering perspective, the smallest possible thing you can put in L1 is going to make L2 stronger and is is going to give us a more robust alt- overall system. So that's that's what I think a lot of folks who are behind sort of Bitcoin. It's not, look, there's, there's probably more that we would slice away if we redesigned Bitcoin from scratch. Um, it's unclear if that's the best model or not, but if you look at Bitcoin's model versus Ethereum's going in a totally different direction, uh, it's nice to have a really solid L1. And I think that's separate from who arrived first. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah but it's- also, I have, I have a kid who wants ice cream, so if you guys hear that, there you go. <laughs> uh, Brian, but uh, yeah, doesn't that discount the whole uh you know scaling on the second layer argument i mean why why can't monero scale on the second layer because you're still at a point where that will forever grow that can do absolutely nothing but grow and you have to have access to that whole set of data to verify that a block is not spending something that shouldn't be allowed to be spent whereas with bitcoin there there is no constraint requiring the utxo set always grow it can condense itself and shrink just as easily as it can grow and the more ways to divide control over a utxo that are created on second layers the more likely it will be to condense or constrain its growth whereas with monero no matter what you do it will grow forever and all you can do is slow down that growth you can never wind that back and shrink it that's an interesting way of looking at it. I mean, um, you know, Monero is introducing pruning. Um, and, you know, there, there's been developments, um, you know, in, in, in the code itself that, are, that have made it more efficiently recently. But I guess you're saying those are just kind of temporary measures, uh, but they're not going to wind well, back. I, I'm not really like that familiar with Monero on a deep level, but Mm -hmm. from my understanding of its architecture, that would be a stopgap. You would either have to remove guaranteed known spent outputs, which is going to be reducing the anonymity set, 
or you would have to completely re-architect the system in a way where it does not depend on the current privacy model. You would need a whole new way of obscuring um, like what's actually being spent. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, you could certainly imagine uh, some sort of way to make a zero knowledge argument from the current basically coin holder set to a new privacy mechanism. Um, not, I don't disagree that ring signatures are not going to like be the thing long term, but um, but I mean, again, if we can, I, the same argument, if we can say, well, well, we can change things and soft forks and L two, I think it's probably fair to say Monero can grow too. Yes. But it would require a complete rearchitecture, like absolutely, absolutely, yes, on that scale. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Monero is is certainly looking into uh, running Lightning Network uh, as a layer two solution, but you know that's that's out there. Um, so yeah, where where does this leave us, guys? I mean, I, I guess this is kind of the uh, the same old debate that's always had in the Bitcoin community as to whether or not uh, Bitcoin is, is good enough and whether or not uh, things practically could be added to it or if, or if that's even something Bitcoin would ever want to do. So do you, do you think it, it, it is possible that one day, I know we kind of just hashed through this all, but just in, in, in a short response, will Bitcoin ever possibly raise the 21 million cap if you guys could each both individually kind of re-answer that is is it ever possible will that ever possibly happen what would have to happen for that to i happen? do not think that, that would ever happen i think that if that were successfully done then bitcoin is a failure then it's guarantee of some bedrock of immutability of its nature and its rules just are gone it's dead and Matt, do you think it's it's ever uh, possible? I think that that is a crisis level like situation. But if you just look at you know if you look at the response that uh, that I got just from being like, hey guys, I talked about this. Uh, I think w one thing that Bitcoin has on its side is just this vociferous user base that thinks that they like need to defend Bitcoin, and that's uh, you know that's pretty strong. So I, I, I mean, I, 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 I'm not going to say this would destroy Bitcoin. I can imagine a future crisis where we as a community did have to come together. But, um, but I also think like that's only going to happen if there's a crisis. And otherwise, no, there's no way this is going to change. Okay. What do you guys think? Anything else uh, to be discussed? Uh, I just want to say that there is no such thing as the Bitcoin community. There are just people who <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, we all meet up once a year, all of us, to make decisions. Um, <laughs> look, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, in 2013, I can attest to it certainly felt like there was a community. But every year we grow and get bigger and get weirder and the tent grows. Yeah, I mean, and call it what you want. Um, but at some point, there will be enough people to to make or block a hard fork level decision in a crisis. And that's all I'm really trying to say. I'm not trying to say we're all going to be friends and, and have a talk. Mm -hmm. I, I just hate that, that word because <laughs> the connotation that it creates, that there is like some homogenous community that is 
brought together by something besides just ownership of something. Like there are a number of fragmented communities and there is all like community tent that we're all under. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll agree to disagree. You're wrong, sir. <laughs> Thank you guys. I guys, I appreciate both of you uh, taking the time and uh, your honest opinions on the subject and uh, being able to have this discussion like grownups. Yeah, thank you so much. This was like way too high level of discourse. I'm very uh, surprised by you guys. So maybe next time we'll get a, get a little nastier. <laughs> we try to keep it civil over here on the narrow talk. For an ending if you want. <laughs> oh, I, should, I do want to thank uh, Rotten to the Core. Uh, he's at Rotten Wheel uh, on Twitter. He was the one that helped me uh, put this together. So thank you, uh, Rotten Wheel, for, for uh, making this show possible. Oh, and I also want to say the Magico, Magical Crypto Friends Conference. Uh, we're going to be a, a media partner for the conference that's coming up in New York City. It's, it's right before Consensus. So I, I do want to throw that out there. Do you guys attend uh, Consensus in New York no. City? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Any interest in attending a uh, magical crypto <laughs> friends conference? Do you guys have any thoughts on that? The, the... Uh, I, I, I've been playing with the idea, but I'm trying to think how uh, to maintain my anonymity in that context. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've already outed myself publicly, but I do think we're going to send at least a couple people to magical crypto. Uh, it's It's a good group of people and the speakers are great. And it's nice to just not go to consensus so yeah it's really great that this is growing out of uh out of that um kind of bringing it back to the basics i think uh just focusing on the technology but dude where am i going to show my ico pitch like i, I need people to <laughs> buy you, you it can, you can email me money. just no just hit me up uh <laughs> i've got a syndicate i don't know uh anyway thank you so much for having us and uh yeah this was great guys appreciate it Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks again, Douglas. All right. Have fun. a good one. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Adios.